0: This podcast is sponsored by Roe Gallery.
1: And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my
0: drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony.
1: And I'm Maggie.
0: And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Best sellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class yeah, you faded while you read, but you can't forget? We've got that too. Brain? Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads.
1: Hi everyone! Welcome back to Rebel Book. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Wow, okay, I gotta restart that one. You're not Hi, even I'm drunk the- yet. No, I'm just excited. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Maggie. Maggie.
0: (laughs) That's Maggie, and I am Harmony. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. We have not started drinking, but we're going to. So have fun with that, friends. This is a special, though, so I don't want to hear any complaints.
1: Yeah. Hello. We're going to talk about Valentine's Day stuff, but Valentine's Day is overrated. So actually what we're doing, we're talking about... (laughs) five feminist books that we both really love five each and we're gonna pair up (laughs) with a drink while we're drinking
0: yes yes we're gonna be drinking so this is going to be a whatever episode kind of but we're gonna be talking about books and we're going to be drinking and i have five drinks in front of me and maggie has one but she's still paired drinks for you yeah so who wants to go first I don't know, man. You can start. Okay, so I guess first I'll be doing The Witches of New York, which we read on the the podcast. So for The Witches of New York, I created a sort of dark and stormy. So typically in dark and stormy, however, you're supposed to use dark rum, which makes it a dark and stormy. However, I used brandy because I don't have dark rum and I have brandy. And so it's not really a dark and stormy, but it's the same general idea. I picked a dark and stormy for The Witches of New York because I feel like that's kind of a, it's not a dark novel. It's kind of a floppy novel in a lot of ways, but it has dark elements. And I feel like dark and stormy kind of goes well and well with witchcraft. For this one, I substituted simple syrup with maple syrup. And it actually tastes good. So this is just brandy, maple syrup, ginger ale. And that's it. Oh, it's also powdered sugar.
1: Nice. Why, why do you recommend The Witches of New York to the humans if they haven't heard the six, seven episodes that we've done on
0: this book? Why do I recommend The, the Witches of New York? Well, Amy McKay is a badass bitch who writes about badass witches. And the it's just like a fun, nice read, except it's got a lot of dark elements and a ton of feminist themes. And it's kind of cool to read historical fiction when the characters are actually, em- when the characters are women but are actually empowered, because historically we don't see a lot of empowered women. So it just kind of is like a nice book to remind you about your friendships And it's a nice book to help you feel empowered and badass and it's witchy and I love witches. Half of my books actually that I did drinks on are about witches because I'm a stereotype. And yeah, so hopefully some of you listeners haven't actually listened to our The Witches of New York things, not because it's not a great book, it definitely is, but because those are our roughest episodes because we were just starting out. But you should go back and listen to them once you've decided that you love us and The Witches of New York is cool because it's about three witches in New York living in the 19th century. And one of them is, like, all-powerful. And I've actually had a little bit of alcohol mags, so I don't know. I don't know. The Witches of New York is great, and everyone should read it. And you know what? If you want to learn more about it, go listen to our episodes. But do it once you've already decided you love us.
1: True. So... I also did, for my first book, a book that we've done on the podcast, although the rest of mine are not podcast-related. Maybe in the future, but not right now. So I started off talking about Difficult Woman by Roxane Gay, which we've now done three episodes on and talked about four different stories from because it's just that good. And Difficult Woman essentially follows... I mean, it's hard to say because they're all short stories, but I would say the general themes of the book are talking about women as they deal with societal and relationship pressures related specifically to their sexual lives and their ability or decisions to become or not become mothers, Those are some of, like, the main themes, I would say, of Difficult Women. And for this one, I picked a Stout Sangaree because it's a really rich and very, very heavy drink. It's very delicious. Otherwise, I wouldn't have recommended it. But it reminds me of Difficult Woman. It's something that you kind of want to sip slowly and savor because it's so rich and so heavy. And I feel like with Difficult Woman, in an ideal situation, you kind of read it one story at a time and you savor it and you digest it and then you move on to the next sip, you know. So what's in a stout sangaree is simple syrup, 12 ounces of stout, two ounces of ruby port, and then some freshly grated nutmeg and some, some fresh ground cinnamon. So essentially, you start with the simple syrup, then you slowly pour in the stout because you want the full head of foam, and then you float the port on top, and then you sprinkle it with the nutmeg and the cinnamon. So it's kind of a cool drink to make because there's a lot of floating components as a part of it, but stout is very can be very, very chocolatey and rich. And Port has a lot of those same qualities. And that's why I decided to put it for Difficult Woman. Difficult Woman is a a selection of short stories I really recommend if you, especially if you're, I would say, already really familiar with kind of contemporary feminist movements and you just kind of want to get some different perspectives. Slash are just interested in stories that are primarily about women dating and figuring out what relationships are like and how to do them in a healthy and safe way and how not to do them in a healthy and safe way. I saw a lot of myself in those stories. I saw a lot of things that weren't me at all in those stories. And it was really just a, I read the whole thing twice, which for me is not particularly usual it's just a really rich reading experience. I feel like you can get something new out of each story every time. So not only did I reread it, but it's short stories that I actually enjoy. And both of those things aren't typically me. So that's why I would recommend it to you all. My Valentine's Day friends. Also, Relationships Valentine's Day. If you're lonely, this one will make you feel less bad about it because you won't want to be in a relationship afterwards. That's
0: fair. Oh, but there are some nice relationships and Difficult women
1: true but they're farther between than the not nice ones
0: (laughs) okay well is it my turn again yeah all right so the next one i'm going to do i'm going to break up some of our some of the books that we've read and have not read this one is not a book we've read this is the refrigerator monologues and i'm going to read the summary for you from goodreads all right so here it goes The Lives of Six Female Superheroes and the Girlfriends of Superheroes, a ferocious riff on women in superhero comics. A series of linked stories from the points of view of the wives and girlfriends of superheroes, female heroes, and anyone who's ever been, quote-unquote, refrigerated. Comic book women who are killed, raped, brainwashed, driven mad, disabled, or had their powers taken so that a male superhero's storyline will progress. So I read this one back when I was a better human and still attending the feminist book club in new york city i stopped doing that because i don't have to go to manhattan ever now so why bother now but this is a great book it's about like it said women that have been refrigerated which is a term that developed from primarily comic books but just tv shows in general it's essentially a term that means like when a woman is killed so that it can progress the story of a male character so it occurs a lot in superhero books and the Refrigerator Monologues is cool because it takes very well-known superhero stories, kind of like, I think The Flash is one of them. No, Spider-Man is one of them. So, like, Spider-Man is one of the well-known superhero stories. It takes all of these, well, um, Phoenix from the X-Men is one of the superhero stories. So it takes these well-known superhero stories, changes them a little so that you don't have to deal with copyright. And then it's just a bunch of women who get to tell their stories. And... You know, they talk about the process of being refrigerated, essentially, to further their male character, male love interests, storylines, but they also get to, like, reclaim the narrative and tell it from their perspective. So it's really powerful. For this book, I chose Apothic Wine because that's the cheap wine I go for. And I chose the coffee brew, the cold brew coffee brew, because I feel like... This is this is a deep dark red wine and I feel like this is a really fun and easy novel to read but it also has such dark undertones and I feel like the coffee kind of adds to like the sardonic tone of this novel or this book. That's all. Everyone should read it. It's funny. It's a really particular writing style. It's uh, got a lot going on but it's also told like a comic book. It's kind of like a comic book. Bu- if a comic book were a novel, this, that's what it would be in terms of writing. So it's got that sort of style on. And it's got, like, cool, dark undertones. And I think this one matches it nicely.
1: Harmony's been trying to get me to read this for ages.
0: And she refuses because she doesn't like another novel that Catherine Valente has uh, written.
1: I'm open to it. I just, because I didn't like space opera, it does make Yeah, I don't know. I'm just one of those people where sometimes if I don't like a book by an author, it's hard for me to give a second chance to a different book. But also, everyone loves the refrigerator monologues. So I just need to get over myself and join you. Yeah, it's great. So, shall I go next? (laughs) Yeah, you can go now. So, the next book I want to talk about is The Weight of Ink by Rachel Kaddish. It is tied for the best book that I read in 2019 with Haruki Murakami's Killing commentatore. I just could not choose between the two of them. So I'm going to read you the Goodreads synopsis. Set in London of the 1660s and of the early 21st century, The Weight of Ink is the interwoven tale of two women of remarkable intellect. Esther Velasquez, an immigrant from Amsterdam who was permitted to scribe for a blind rabbi just before the plague hits the city and Helen Watt, an ailing historian with a love of Jewish history. As the novel opens, Helen has been summoned by a former student to view a cache of 17th century Jewish documents newly discovered in his home during a renovation. Enlisting the help of Aaron Levy, an American graduate student, as impatient as he is charming, and in a race with another fast-moving team of historians, Helen embarks on one last project to determine the identity of the document's scribe, the elusive Aleph. So... This novel takes place in two different timelines, and I found that both of them were extremely empowering. In the 17th century, in the Jewish culture of London that this book is written in, women were not allowed to learn to read and write. So the fact that Esther was doing this in a kind of subversive way for her blind rabbi was an extreme act of patriarchal patriarchal resistance. And just super beautiful to read about her carving her own path that wasn't just kind of getting married and being a mother and having babies and watching her just learn where she fits in the world and understand what she's passionate about. Paired with the 21st century Helen, who is an esteemed professor but had to fight really hard to be where she is and is still constantly looked down upon by male colleagues and even male students who she has to constantly prove herself to and watching her continue to carve out that fight, but also build bridges, especially with her students, as they're figuring out who this mysterious figure is, and watching these two stories ultimately come together, combined with just this gorgeous writing, it blew me away. I don't usually save her books. I'm a pretty fast reader and the weight of ink is pretty long, but I really let myself draw it out because I just could not bear for the story to end. And I highly recommend it. And I also highly recommend it if you either are Jewish or realize that you don't read a lot of own voices Jewish novels. Because after I read this, I sat back and I realized that I've read very few novels written from, you know, own voices Jewish authors that aren't about the Holocaust, which of course are important narratives that have their own space. But, you know, Jewish history is pretty much as long as humanities to a certain extent. So I really, really recommend this novel. And for me, the pairing that I have for this is less about the fact that it fits the book and more how it makes me feel. So my favorite wine is Pinot Noir. I will choose a Pinot Noir no matter... And because this was my favorite book of last year, I wanted to put both of these together. So I guess my recommendation to you is to drink your favorite drink, whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic, while you read this book. Something that makes you feel cozy and at home, because this is the kind of thing that you're going to want to just like open up and devour It's so good. And for me, that feeling is Pinot Noir. I fucking love a Pinot Noir. Everyone who knows me, I know that's my favorite wine, which is kind of funny because I'm drinking a white right now. But you know what? Sometimes we got to (laughs) diversify. Oh, gosh. Okay. That was a lot. A lot. Are you okay? (laughs) Okay. Y'all can't yes. but Harmony, as I've been talking, has been just kind of, like, gently picking up each one of her drinks and, like, taking sips from each of them.
0: I'm worried I'm not going get to get to them all before I fall asleep tonight.
1: Okay. It's your turn, my man. <laughs> my next book
0: is Waking the Witch, which I've talked about on the pod a little bit. Because I was reading it while we were doing The Witches of New York and kind of first starting the podcast. So let's see. I have a summary here. It's done by one of my favorite witches. She's a badass. Her name is Pam Grossman. All right. So, so. A whip-smart and illuminating exploration of the world's fascination with witches from a podcast host and practicing witch, Pam Grossman. Comma. I mean, a parentheses. The Witch Witch. <laughs> ...who delves deeply into why witches have intrigued us for centuries and why they're more relevant now than ever. When you think of a witch, what do you picture? Pointy black hat? Maybe a broomstick. But witches in various guises have been with us for millennia. In Waking the Witch, Pam Grossman explores the cultural and historical impact of the world's most magical icon. From the idea of the femme fatale and league with the devil in early modern Europe and Salem to the bewitching pop culture archetypes in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and Harry Potter. From the spooky ladies in fairy tales and horror films to the rise of feminist covens and contemporary witchcraft, witches reflect the power and potential of women. In this fascinating read that is part analysis, part memoir, Pam opens up about her own journey on the path to witchcraft and how her personal embrace of the witch helped her find strength, self-empowerment, and a deeper purpose. A comprehensive meditation on one of the most mysterious and captivating figures of all time, Waking the Witch celebrates witches' past, present, and future, and reveals the critical role they have played and will continue to play in shaping the world as we know it. Okay, so I chose this book for a few reasons. I chose this book because Pam Grossman, as a figure, she has a podcast called Waking the Witch that really helped me this past year kind of come to terms with wanting to be a witch and being okay with that. I grew up. As a hippie, like a hippie child, like one of those indigo feral children. and witchcraft was kind of a word that was like bo- bodied around, but it was done in a very new agey way that sometimes didn't always resonate with me and that I really wanted to distance myself from. But I've always had like a love and fascination for magic. And when I was a teenager, I kind of refound that and you know, like started getting into Wicca. But my parents at the time were very sardonic and like, I don't think sardonic is the right word. I'm sorry, sarcastic and cynical and (laughs) really didn't like, I don't know, like they were not dreamers. They were very much like anti the dream and I was very much a dreamer. And so they made fun of me a lot for it. And it wasn't like it was all it wasn't mean spirited necessarily. It was just like who they were against like who I was as a person. And so I felt really ashamed for believing in it because they were like, oh, it's like, let's pretend. And, you know, like you're being Harry Potter. And so I kind of closed that part off of me to kind of like harden myself a little bit and stopped being spiritual at all, which is fine because like I am kind of an atheist in a lot of ways. I don't, you know, I am a logical human and I don't necessarily believe in a lot of like religious and or spiritual things. But since coming to New York City, I've had the opportunity to become more spiritual again and like to kind of accept it. And it really does make my life happier. And so I chose this book because Pam Grossman is a lovely human who makes it really easy to do that and really fun without making it too heavy or too like woo-woo or new agey. And she's also just kind of a figure who like unabashedly loves witchcraft and loves like, geeking out over it, like, geeking out over, like, witchcraft movies and movies that feature witchcraft and artists that paint. And so it's kind of encouraged me to be more okay being geeky and to, like, love these things, even if they don't seem necessarily cool or even if they seem too stereotypical or if I feel like I'm fitting some sort of trope that I don't want to be fitting. So for this one, I chose to do a kind of very different take on a hot toddy, so essentially, I made one of my favorite teas. I put in it comfrey, feverfew, it has some hibiscus, lavender, chamomile, and a little bit of motherwort because we're talking about witches. And I feel like Pam Grossman, though she has no children, has acted as a sort of spiritual mother towards me, even though I don't know her because she has shared this knowledge with me and therefore allowed me to like accept my own geekiness. And I also used... This honey, which I've used in some of my other drinks, which I think is really unique. It's a Greek honey that my partner's uh, best friend picked up for him in Greece. And it tastes real weird. It's called Spitko, Spitko honey, and it has natural Chios Mastia, mas- mas- I think. Does that sound like a word you know? No. No?
1: But uh, I trust you.
0: <laughs> I, I like this. It tastes like summer and spring to me a little bit. Like, it's not traditionally, it's sweet, but it has, like, all of this other weird flavor that we just don't have, I think, in this part of the world. And maybe they do in Greece. So it's it's a very interesting flavor, and uh, I like it when I'm, like, thinking of spring. So I put that in my tea, and I'm also drinking it with Jim Beans whiskey to kind of give it, like, a rush, cool girl, or not a rush, a rough, cool girl
1: edge. <laughs>
0: It kind of looks more like a dark and stormy than my dark and stormy does, but that's okay.
1: That's fine. That was a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing,
0: Harmony. Thank you. <laughs> Maggie, do you remember when I fell in love with Edvard Munch? Yeah, I do. That was a trip. Well, I've been looking to get my hands on a print of his painting Madonna. Dude, you should check out Rowe Gallery. Row Gallery?
1: Row Gallery? Yeah, they have artworks in every style for every budget, over 30,000 original vintage prints, paintings, photos, and sculptures. That's
0: awesome. Where
1: do I find them? They're located in your neck of the woods at 47 36th Street in Long Island City, but you can also find them online at rogallery.com. com. <laughs> So I'm pivoting then because the next thing I want to talk about is a memoir because we don't talk about very much nonfiction thus far on the podcast. That is changing, I promise. Pulling teeth on my end. But a memoir and a nonfiction piece I really liked was Educated by Tara Westover. It was one of the first books I read at the beginning of 2019, kind of when it was at its, like, biggest hype. I know I'm recommending a book right now that probably everyone's read, but I do think it's a worthwhile read. I thought that Tara was a really great writer, and I thought that her story was really empowering. I'm not going to read you the Goodreads summary because it's not really possible. I to spoil a memoir, given that it's someone's life. But essentially, Tara grew up with some very extreme off the grid parents that was partially due to religious leanings and partially just due to distrust of the government. She never went to a doctor and she did not set foot into a classroom until she was 17. And then she was able to go to, was it Oxford or Cambridge? I don't remember Cambridge. I mean, they're like the same thing. They're Oxbridge together, but she was able to self-educate and then her own ability to step into a classroom became her real act of resistance and she just really inspires me I think because she reminds me that no matter what your circumstances are or what you're told when you grow up you really can do anything if you put your mind to it and I also appreciate the fact that she was an adult when she did a lot of her kind of resistance Because I think that that speaks to a lot of kids who maybe feel powerless in their family households and also continue to love and respect their parents, even though they don't agree with how they were raised. She just really is a human who I admire. I was lucky enough to get to see her speak in person last year. And in person, she is somehow even more poignant and relevant and just like, down to earth. I don't know. She's a cool person. I really enjoyed her story, and I think that her memoir just is worth a read. Um, so to go with that, I picked a Viognier, which is a white wine, and I picked it because it is one is a white wine that, in my experience, can have a lot of different flavor profiles. Um, but the one that most excites me and the one that most resonates to me with educated is the idea of. Of Viognier being very effervescent and if I could describe educated in one word I think effervescent might be it it just feels so alive and bubbly while you're reading it and even when she's going through really really hard times you have this this girl who has such a steel inside of her and such a love for life that you just know she's gonna pull through partially because she pulled through to write the memoir but like you get what i mean you know like that really she did things for me she resonated with me i think about her a lot i'm out of wine though so while harmony's talking i'm gonna take a journey upstairs with my computer she's coming with me though.
0: oh but i have questions about this okay wait, wait, wait. Right, so- no, we're, we're all
1: going together to the journey upstairs <laughs> don't worry
0: oh okay okay so, in terms of educated, I've also heard of this book, and I thought it was something very, very different than what you have described.
1: What did you think it was?
0: I I don't know. Maybe I'm not like listening to your description. I thought it was like someone teaching themselves how to read and write.
1: It was partially that. That was the beginning of the book because she didn't she didn't enter a classroom at all until she was seventeen. So, oh. Like- her self-education wasn't just like i read books it was she went into an undergrad college class not knowing what the holocaust was oh that self-educated so like yeah
0: do you think i would like it i know this is like you know we're putting this on a public forum but there are other memoirs that i don't like that are about families like cough cough glass castle or whatever it's called would this be something you think i would like
1: I don't know because it did remind me a little bit of the Glass Castle, which is interesting that you say that because you were you gave me that book to read initially, but I gave it to you because I didn't like it. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was like, here, take this. <laughs> it reminds me of that a little bit, but I think I think that the way she talks about her family is extremely empathetic and respectful while also being critical, and I especially appreciated the way that she discussed the religious leanings of her family while acknowledging the fact that a lot of the reliefs that beliefs that they had came from this religious affiliation it doesn't represent all mormons specifically or what they teach and everything and i don't know i would give it a go i gave it four stars i didn't think it was perfect just from like a purely writing style standpoint because i don't think that you can judge a memoir based on like the content, because it's someone's actual life, you know. <laughs> I would give it a go, but it I will say it did remind me a bit of the glass castle.
0: I think my problems with the glass castle though were different enough maybe that I could read it. I don't
1: remember what yeah. you didn't like about uh-huh. the glass castle. I just remember that you lent it to me and I also felt kind of met about it.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. All right. <laughs> this is a tangent for another time. <laughs> I'm gonna do little woman. Woo-hoo! Do, do I need to read a summary on Little Woman? Or can I just kind of say what it's about?
1: You just say what it's about. We did it on the podcast. I don't
0: know. Everyone knows it. It's Little Woman. They just made a movie about
1: it. I don't know where you've been if you don't know what Little Woman is at this point. Like... There are
0: some people who don't. Kevin, would. when I took him to see that movie, he had no idea. Oh,
1: I'm sure if I took Damien, he also wouldn't know, but... <sighs>
0: crazy it's craziness anyway little woman there's a person named joe she wants to be a writer society's like you got to get married a boy's like hey marry me she's like nah dog i'm gonna be a writer and also i don't love you and then at the end they all get married and happy anyway
1: she <laughs> no doesn't marry that boy she marries a different boy
0: she marries a different boy maybe i like better maggie's like it eh, about okay even though I do like the original boy, too. But I like better for Joe. Well, he I like Little Woman. Amy, though. Yeah, he marries Amy, who's my, like, one true girl.
1: Yeah. Harmony is not here for the narrative of Amy as a villain, which I've discovered after we did those episodes that that's, like, a real thing. People really think that Amy is the villain of Little Woman.
0: Okay, so Maggie did that first episode, and I think she may have cut this out, but I had a whole anecdote about how my grandma, like, really didn't like Amy. And it's a real thing. I don't think she believed me. I was like, I think there's a thing where people don't like Amy. And like, my grandma really wouldn't like Amy because of this, like, thinking that she has that is, you know, a thing from a different decade, I think, maybe.
1: Oh yeah, you got cut out because your audio was bad. (laughs) Not because I didn't like the anecdote.
0: Okay, well, wait, where did it go? Oh, you cut it out because my audio was bad? Oh, I'm sorry. You could
1: only hear every second word. It's a good Uh,
0: anecdote. Anyway, the point is... People don't like Amy. Y'all can go, like, go away. I understand that when she was 12, she did a really shitty thing. But also, she was 12. We're all shitty people when we're, like, 12. She might have even been 11.
1: Yeah, Whatever. I mean, she grew. me in the way that my little sister bothers me, because she is also 12. It wasn't- <laughs> I don't feel like she is the villain of the story by any means. And I like her and Lori together. Unpopular opinion. Anyways. Me too. Much more than Joe and Lori would you recommend us to drink with little woman
0: oh what do i have to drink with little woman okay so wait wait. first let me preamble about little woman Okay, more than i've already been preambling little woman is great it's like a really great comfort read maggie hates it i love it it's great for the holidays and it kind of like reminds me of home and like niceness and family and warm fires so i made hot cocoa Um, with a little bit of brandy, because that's what I have uh, accessible to me right now. And the cocoa I used was actually baking cocoa. So it tasted real hot cocoa. (laughs) Yeah, it tasted real shitty at first. The milk that I used was oat milk, because I used all my milk on something else, which I'll preamble about later, or ramble about. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I'm drunk. Um, I added some of that honey I told you guys about. To the cocoa, like, while we were podcasting, and it tastes much better. So I recommend it. Brandy and Hot cocoa, yes. Read it with Little Woman. Just read it with cocoa. You know, read it with something comfortable. Because Little Woman is a comfort read. Hashtag comfortreads on Instagram. May, your turn. Okay,
1: I'm waiting for my Goodreads thing to load. But I want to talk about Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, which is a book that I have... I don't know, weird feelings about, I guess, because you all know when you read a book and at the time you're like, oh, you know, like, this was good. It was fine, but it didn't, like, blow my mind. But then you find yourself thinking about it significantly afterwards. For me, this was Gods of Jade and Shadow. I actually really want to reread this book because I'm curious if I have Rose colored glasses about it, or if it actually I kind of underrated it to a certain extent when I first read it, and it and the continuing thoughts I have about it are more correct. But I also think it's super feminist, and it's also by a Mexican author, which is pretty cool. So, Gods of Jade and Shadow 1920s jazz age situation. So the Jazz Age is in full swing, but Cassiopeia Tun is too busy cleaning the floors of her wealthy grandfather's house to listen to any fast tunes. Nevertheless, she dreams of a life far from her dusty small town in southern Mexico, a life she can call her own. Yet this new life seems as distant as the stars until the day she finds a curious wooden box in her grandfather's room. She opens it and accidentally frees the spirit of the Mayan god of death who requests her help in recovering his throne from his treacherous brother. Failure will mean Cassiopeia's demise, but success could make her dreams come true. And the company of the strangely alluring god and armed with her wits, Cassiopeia, begins an adventure that will take her on a cross-country odyssey from the jungles of the Yucatan to the bright lights of Mexico City and deep into the darkness of the Mayan underworld. So I could not do this without talking about fantasy because fantasy is my favorite genre and the one that I read the most of. So this story, I loved because Cassiopeia knows her own mind, and she's a badass bitch, and I sound really drunk right now. I'm not. I'm only, I've am only had one glass of wine, but I read this book just long enough ago that, like, the details. But I really just enjoyed this book for two reasons. One, Cassiopeia knows her own mind. She knows what she wants, and even though she's born into a very patriarchal family where things are really unfortunately stacked against her. She's able to push against that. Two, separate from feminism, but I think relevant. I loved the fantasy elements and loved the fantasy aspect of this. And three, I loved the love story in this because it was so centered around Cassiopeia and what she wanted and what she was into. Um, And also, I mean, her love interest was sexy and all, but it also the whole balance of everything just worked right for me and it left me feeling really empowered and I'm really excited to see, I don't know if this is going to be a standalone or if there's going to be more, I hope there's going to be more, but I'm excited to see whatever this author does in the future. Cause she's doing such a beautiful job at combining ancient Mexican folklore with like 1920s jazz age with like really great, awesome main characters that you wouldn't necessarily think of, I think, as all being in the same novel, in the same place. And she's really killing it. So the drink I want to recommend with this is the Paloma. Because A, I have been told by my Mexican friends that it is one of the most popular drinks in Mexico. I'm sorry if that's not true. Please come at me later if it's not. I did my research. Rebel Girls Book Club at gmail.com. Don't come at me too so hard. I tried. but Be nice. be nice but come at me but the main things in it are tequila grapefruit juice and lime juice and that really to me that flavor combination super spoke to this book as being both i hope like i said i did my research authentically mexican like this book is but also grapefruit and lime like that whole sweet bittersweet sour situation is totally this book This book does not wrap up neat and clean and sweet, you know? It leaves you wanting more, but also being satisfied. But also, like, there's this bitter, sour thing while you're reading it. That's how you feel. And I feel like that whole flavor profile really just exemplifies what's happening in this novel. Yes, yes, I want to read this book so badly now. It's really good. It's also especially for a fantasy novel, pretty short. it's like three hundred and fifty pages. So if you're new to fantasy as well, I would actually really suggest starting here.
0: I like three hundred
1: and fifty pages. It has a beautiful cover. I posted it on our Instagram recently.
0: I saw that. I recognized when you said the thing. I was like, oh, I saw that on Instagram. Maggie does most of our Instagram if you don't know already. Sometimes it's me when like when Maggie can't do that. Mine are the significantly less good photos,
1: though. (laughs) (laughs) A lot about witches, but technically speaking, the eye on Instagram is me. In case you guys didn't know,
0: yes, just just the the eye is usually yes. Sometimes I do witches. I mean, most of the time I do witches, but it's also because that also like gets more likes. I find and makes up for the fact that I can't actually photograph.
1: Yeah, you have really, you, you're you plugged into a community that's, like, here for you on Instagram, and I am battering against a community that just wants good photos, like, try it.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Is it my turn? <laughs> All right, we're doing The Daughters of Temperance Hobbs, which I just read, and it was a nice little book, and I liked it a lot. Apparently it's a sequel, the first book is called the, the physics book, uh, Temperance Dains? No, Deliverance Dains. Mm. Yes, Deliverance Dain. The physics book of Deliverance Dain is the first book. I have not read that yet. I'm trying to get my hands on it on the library, but I think it's checked out. It's like a nice, kind of fluffy book. What I really appreciated about this book is that it has a romantic subplot, but the person is already, like, the main character is already in a relationship with her partner which I really enjoyed and I'm thinking about writing a novel soon and that's going to kind of be like it's going to be a quote-unquote romance novel but my main character is going to be in a relationship with her partner yeah Maggie and I will talk about this afterwards
1: <laughs> yeah this is the first time hearing about this shit what the fuck
0: it's a part of I I listen to a podcast called the rom pod and the whole point is romance noveling as a sacred practice like writing a romance novel. And so given some stuff that you know that may be coming up in my life, Maggie, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's a part of that and my method of coping.
1: Are we ever going to share about that, by the way?
0: We can't right now because of reasons that have to do with A, it might not happen for, you know, reasons that happen in the news and B, the fact that, you know.
1: Laws? Legal?
0: Not even legal laws. It's like, Things that have to do with me getting a paycheck, so. Uh,
1: I get you. Okay.
0: <laughs> so, no, we're not sharing that at the moment. But anyway, yes, we'll share that eventually when it's, like, official, official, official. And doesn't affect any paychecking. But I'm writing a romance novel, and I liked the fact that this main character has already, like, she's already in a r- relationship. Here, I'm going to read the Goodreads sub-summary, not subplot, summary. Here we go.
1: Thanks to Goodreads for not sponsoring this video, but being, you know, a real supporter of us being able to make it anyways, for having these lovely summaries so that we don't spoil our (laughs) books for you.
0: I post, like, I link to Goodreads all the time. In our show notes, it's always Goodreads. On our, like, meeting schedule list, it's always Goodreads. I love Goodreads, even though I don't use it because I can't get back into my account because I'm in the Rebel Girls Book Club account and I hate writing book reviews so <laughs> also,
1: it's owned by Amazon and like that's a oh, whole thing but yeah Jeff Bezos is the overlord of Goodreads but that's a whole other podcast
0: well <laughs> no. okay we're into capitalism we just really support Goodreads apparently all right here's my summary New York Times bestselling author Catherine Howe returns to the world of the physic book of Deliverance Danes with a um, Deliverance Dane with a (laughs) bewitching story of a New England history professor who must race against time to free her family from a curse. Connie Goodwin is an expert on America's fractured past with witchcraft, a young tenure track professor in Boston. She's earned a career. She's earned career success by studying the history of magic in colonial America, especially women's home recipes and medicines. And by exposing society's threat against women fluent in those skills. But beyond her studies, Connie Hart Harbors a secret. She is a direct descendant of a woman tried, at a witch in, tried as a witch in Salem, an ancestor whose abilities were far more magical than the historical record shows. When a hint from her mother and clues from her research lead Connie to the shocking realization that her partner's life is in danger, she must race to solve the mystery behind a hundred years long deadly curse. Flashing back through American history to the lives of certain supernatural gifted women, the Daughters of Temperance Hobbs affectingly reveals not only the special bond that unites one particular material, matriarchal line but also expo- explores the many challenges to women's survival across the decades and the risks some women are forced to take to protect what they love most i am obviously too drunk to read but i'm gonna <laughs> cut little of little out
1: you're trying your best my dude you're trying your best honestly though that sounds like a book i would really dig
0: I recommended it to you. You should definitely do it. I'm trying to get my hand on the first one. And the person who writes it, she lives in Boston and New York, or she lives in New England New York. It takes place in a real town near Salem, like part of it. And it, and then it also takes place in Boston, which is really cool. I know that you are like on the New York side of Connecticut. I've been to Boston, I know. Yeah. As a New Englander, you must see, like the love. The love must be there. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like it. I chose for a drink. So this book mentions Imbolic. And I read it right before Imbolc, which is kind of like, it's for Catholics, it's St. Brigid's Day mm. or Candlemas. So that's something that's existing in Catholicism, but it has Gaelic roots. And it's all about the goddess Brigid. It mentions this in the story because the story goes over like almost a year. And I made yesterday for Imbolc because Imbolc was yesterday at the time that we're recording this. A lovely punch that I got from something called Victorian Gardens or Victorian Recipes. I'll link it in the show notes so that I don't spoil it. It's a lavender punch. And so essentially it's milk and honey, right? Which is like the goddess's drink. Mm-hmm. That's like something that, you know, old pagans really like to give to their gods because it was like nice and feminine and milk and honey symbolized like fertility and shit.
1: It's also delicious if you haven't had it before. Delish. It's super good.
0: I love it. So it's milk and honey and then lavender tea. And then it's also brandy, which is why I had the brandy. And so I had made some for my impalic ritual yesterday and I had a little bit left over. So I'm drinking it today and I think that you should pair it with uh, Temperance Danes. The, the daughters of... No, it's not that. It's Temperance Hobbs. It's the daughters of Temperance Hobbs, which is a part of the book. It's a sequel to the book, the physics book of Deliverance Dates. It's like kind of a nice comfort read. I like that the romance is there, but it's not really a main thing at all. I like the old family tradition. I like the historical elements. It's nice. It's comforting. Drink it with some nice like milk honey tea with brandy.
1: Yeah, Yeah. do it up. For those of you who are curious, this entire conversation Is pretty much what it was like for Harmony and I living together for all four years in undergrad. Like this is (laughs) Harmony and I are always authentic on the podcast, but if you want like real authentic Maggie Harmony, this this is it right now,
0: right here. (laughs) Yeah, slightly drunk,
1: talking about books like this. This was our undergrad experience. So the last book I'm going to talk about, I feel like this is a bold statement, and honestly. it kind of changes all the time, so don't hold me to it 100%. But I this is actually my favorite book of all time. Whoa! I know, right? It's Ahab's Wife or the Stargazer by Sina Dieter Naslund, which...
0: I have that book now, just so you know, because of you. Okay. Do
1: you really? Can we read it on the podcast?
0: We can, but we have to do it next season.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. Of course. But, <laughs> so, I read this book at one of the worst times of my life it was the spring of our senior year of undergrad my then boyfriend now husband you all heard a lot about his name is damian was underway for the first time ever he had just moved three thousand miles away i didn't really know what was going to happen there he was gone a lot because the navy my grandmother died rather suddenly i was doing a lot in school our house 3,000 miles away sp- sprung a leak, and I had to fly out there in the middle of our semester. Lots- Current DD is for clarity. Yeah. Lots of shit happened the senior year, the second semester of senior year of undergrad. Would you agree, Harmony? I had a
0: rough semester. You did. And I was barely there because I wasn't in undergrad anymore.
1: It's true. Harmony was still living with us at that time, but she had graduated a semester early and was working a big kid job that I drove her to and from for a long time, actually, funnily enough. That was real love, man. You worked far away, but I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. But through all of this, in the middle of the worst of it, I read this book and it really, A, I would say saved my love of reading because throughout undergrad, I mean, undergrad is undergrad. I was a workaholic to say the least. Harmony <laughs> right, is giving big nods. Scary
0: workaholic. I did. I told people not to follow in her footsteps because I thought that
1: they would die. Two people did try and follow in my footsteps. Harmony was one of them. It was bad. I was that person in undergrad. Like, I just did hashtag the most all the time. And so, like, my love of reading kind of fell to the wayside. But in senior year, generally speaking, I had more time to read. I worked my dick off, frankly, the first three years, and I was able to have – A little bit more free time that last year, even though things went awry in my personal life that second half of the year. So I was starting to read again, and honestly, like I liked it, but nothing was really resonating with me until I read this book. So I'm going to read you the summary now, but that's that's my backstory for it. I guess to say, this book is popular, kind of in a cultish way, so I think it is as good as I think it is. But I guess to give a slight caveat, it came into my life. It was the right book at the right time. You know, it was what I needed in this shit storm that was my life that semester. So, oh, I don't want to just, the Goodreads, you know, is how, it spoilery? it's not that. It's just, you know, how so much of summaries is just praise for the book. Like, I don't want to tell you praise for the book. I want to tell you what the book is about. Okay. Inspired by a brief passage in Moby Dick, it is the story of Una, exiled as a child to live in a lighthouse removed from the physical and emotional abuse of a religion mad father. It is the romantic adventure of a young woman setting sail in a cabin boys disguise to encounter darkness, wonder, and a catastrophe. The story of a devoted wife who witnesses her husband's destruction by obsession and madness. Ultimately, it is the powerful and moving story of a woman's triumph over tragedy and loss through her courage, creativity, and intelligence. So that synopsis is really vague, but I do think it really captures what the story is about. Essentially, Jeter is embodying, imagining a story for the wife of uh, Captain Ahab and Moby Dick. Which, funnily enough, is one of my least favorite books. I think I'm kind of famous among our friends for <laughs> disliking that book. I've read it three times, not for no. not for any kind of enjoyment, just for class. I don't like it. So when I picked up this book, I was like, oh, you know, like I don't know if I want to think about movie dick anymore. And I'm really glad I did. It just Una's story is so beautiful. And I will say, as far as feminism goes, she is, this whole story is constructed around the time of when Moby Dick was written and published, so, like, it is a little bit dated, but, like, what she does with her life and who she is as a human is so beautiful, and she refuses to take no as an answer, and she just overcomes so many obstacles. It is just, I don't usually mark up books to the horror of my favorite professor, but that book is soaked in pen because i could not read it and not just like mark it up you know it really did so much for me and after that was really when i kind of remembered that it was like okay new books can still ignite this in you Uh, i think harmony and i talked about at the beginning of our podcast the fact that part of the reason we started this slash part of the reason she started this and i came on as a host was because we both really missed our English classes where we were able to like rip books apart and as a lit major at the time I loved so many books that we were reading and wasn't finding that same rip rip apartable I guess quality in the books I was reading in my personal life and Ahab's wife was one of the first that I was like yeah this is still worth pursuing um and since then I've been a real fucking fiend with books I've read more than I probably should. Uh, So I would say for this last one, I recommend mulled wine while reading Ahab's Wife. Oh, I love mulled wine. It's so good for a couple of different reasons. Frankly, it's a fucking long book. So you need something with lower alcohol content. And when you cook the wine, (laughs) it lowers the alcohol content. But also mulled wine is something that flavor-wise – You can make whatever you want, right? You could start with whatever wine you want and you could add whatever spices, fruits, flavors to it that you want. I think Ahab's Wife is one of those books where different people could pull so many things from it that it reminds me of that. And also similar, I guess, to The Weight of Ink because it's my my all-time favorite book. Like, I want you to drink something that feels comforting, that feels homey, that feels warm and nice ahab's wife talks about some difficult things but the overall message is one of like hope and empowerment and strength and for me mulled wine is a place where you can like get cozy get ready to talk about some difficult topics but like ultimately you know you're gonna come out you're gonna come out good in the end oh i love it i really went on a tangent in the middle of that there, talking about my personal life i don't think i've ever talked about my personal life that much on the podcast
0: no, you're much more guarded. No, it's okay. I went on several tangents, so you just got to, like, even the field. I feel
1: comfortable. I feel comfortable with everything I shared. Like, it's all stuff that actually happened to me. But, yeah, you know, like, that that was what was happening when I read this book. I really do recommend it. I really do hope we can read it in the future on the podcast. Um, it's long. She's chunky. But she's she's worth it. She'll She'll get you through some shit. Uh, Does she
0: write like Melville, though? Because I fucking hate Melville. I never finished Melville, just so we're clear. And I had that same professor.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you didn't take him quite as many times as I did, though. Um, That's true. I took him
0: a lot, considering I was in
1: a literature concentration. Oh, God. (laughs) I still talk to him. (laughs) He tried to come out to visit me. Um, But... No, he she does not write like Melville. She has, I would say, a flowery writing style, but it reads much more as like a modern book. It, it's more historical fiction than her trying to emulate, emulate Melville style.
0: When we read Passion of Mary Magdalene, which is my hands down favorite book. Everybody's was- much more
1: confident I- about this, so we have to read it.
0: Yeah, we we have to read it. It's very flowery. I'm unsure how it will hold up. But yeah, when we when we read that, you'll see. So, I like I I'm okay with the flowers sometimes.
1: Yeah, you know. It just really it just things for me. Melville isn't flowery. Are no. you okay? Yeah, no, I was just laughing at whatever just happened to you. No, Melville isn't flowery. Melville is just like, "Oh my god, almost more than dry, Tolkien, more than Tolkien-esque in his in his detail. I, I don't like Tolkien either. I could not have read another chapter about the building of a ship or the composition of whale sperm if I tried.
0: I. We should talk about how gay Moby Dick is, though. I don't oh, know if that could yeah. be feminist, but it's like you know, it's about
1: sex, so it is so gay. I mean, to be fair, the professor that we took acknowledged that. <laughs> he was here for he was the- one of the good white guys oh yeah we we <laughs> loved him uh, our friendship was based in his intro to lit class really did we sure. ever send him our podcast
0: no oh god i don't know if i can handle that ah. do you think you would you can you can do it because you're on like close terms with him yeah if we're, you want we're i'll be like Talk david to hello Let's do tell it. Tell him to start from the beginning though because it's hard to listen to in the, in the, I mean not in the beginning. Tell him to start from the the most recent.
1: Yeah, I'll tell him to start from little woman because I feel like that might be what he has a basis for. And I think I think he'll really find it funny that I don't like Little Women, frankly. <laughs> like, Does he like little woman? do we know? No, but it's his era and I feel like I'm so in his eyes famous for disliking famous work that he's gonna be like yep, yeah, that's that's my girl. Oh, okay. I like that. All right. Um, do we have anything
0: else we want to talk about at the end of this? I've like basically completed all five of my drinks and I'm really proud of myself. That is
1: terrifying.
0: Okay. I, I have had two glasses of wine. <laughs> there funny. was not much alcohol content in anything but the wine. I put like, I shared the brandy from, I, yeah, there was like Fair maybe enough. half a shot in two of these. Fair enough. Then-
1: no, I think I should let you go to bed because you have to go to work tomorrow. So goodbye, friends. We will talk to you after our blooper episode. I hope you have a great week, and we'll be back at the beginning of March, or no, at the very, very end of February.
0: Yes, yes, we will with comics. No, oh, with, with Helen Johnson.
1: It's not a short story. It's poetry this Home. time.
0: You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at RebelGirlsBookClub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Days. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously.